The weather gets cool and things begin to get busy around here and it's kind of the, the run to the season. Um, we're headed right through Christmas, we're headed right through Thanksgiving, we're he- right, headed right into what we call our, our outreach season that uh, sometimes it just feels like if we can get, just get to January 1st, it will be so good. It will be so good. But at the same time, we recognize that we are here to be a part of the kingdom of God and what he's doing here. That's what, that's what we've kind of been invited into. And, and sometimes it is so easy to turn that around and try to believe or choose to believe that what's happened is God is so honored that I went ahead and let him save me that he should do all this stuff for me. And we forget that it's about us understanding what he did on count. We will never be able to pay him back just for that one event, let alone the spouse he brought into our lives, the careers he brought into our lives, the things like that. If we just had our salvation, we would be the richest people on the planet. And so we stop and we say, hey God, what do you want from me? And that really is what the book of James is all about. Last week I talked about the words that are of our parents coming out of our mouths, you know? It's like, you know, when, when we're little, uh, maybe your parents, they said to you, they said, oh, I just hope you have one just like you. You remember, your parents say that to you, you know, you got on your mama's nerves one day and you were wearing her out and she'd had just about enough of you and she said, I hope you have, and some of you are like, no, she said, I hope I have two. Um, and so maybe you do, but then there comes that time when, you know, your mom's phrases or your dad's phrases, or sometimes it's just you're at that age where you sound like them, and you're like, oh no, I really did turn into my parent. Are you kidding me? So, well, we're back at that place right now where we're talking about words because that's exactly what James is talking about at this point in the book of James. The fact of the matter is, you're going to become like, you're going to begin to emulate, you're going to begin to reflect the people that you hang around with. If you hang around people that are constantly using that new phrase, I'm, I'm deconstructing my faith, than what we used to call back in the day straight out of Scripture, apostatizing, okay, then you're going to end up doing that. If somebody's always undermining your marriage, you're going to begin to hate your marriage. And if it's your um, um, in-laws, God help you. I mean, no, really, Lord help these people. Because we will continue to become like the voices in our ear. And then uh, for us... Um, Moses is a great example of that. You and I are called to reflect God back into the community. In the book of Exodus, chapter 39 or 34, the scripture says, When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant of the law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. Now, that's just a really quick example that the more time you spend in the presence of God, the more you emulate the presence of God. The more you read and let it get into your soul, the more you act on it, the more you become it. Not that you're holier than thou, not that you're better than anybody else. It's just that you become like the people that you surround yourself with. And when Moses surrounded himself with God, literally he came down the mountain and he was glowing and they said, put a shawl, a woman's shawl, over your head, I guess it could be a men's back then, over your head or we're going to die from the radiance of God coming off of you. But don't miss the fact that in this passage, and often this is what's referred to as the Shekinah glory of God, okay? And so, Often, um, we see this, this picture, but we don't realize all he had done was for 40 days been in the presence of God. And that he began to absorb the person of God in his being. 
God, when you're in his presence, will change you. Moses is reflecting that back. And so the people were terrified that they were going to die because of the reflection of God on Moses. Peter and John, same situation. Peter and John are out sharing faith. They're just talking about what God is doing in their lives. And as a result of it, they get arrested. And as a result of that, um, you know, the, the whole conclave of leadership comes together for Jerusalem. And they tried, they've got to decide what to do with these men. And these are not what they call learned men. These are not educated people. They didn't go to seminary. Okay, these are not the Pharisees of Pharisees that Paul said he was. This is just um, um, Peter and John. And yet, this is the reflection that the community has about their reflection. All right? When they, the leadership of, of Israel in Jerusalem, saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. That's Peter and John. That's the disciples of Jesus Christ. Unschooled, these two specifically, unschooled and ordinary men. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. So when we want to understand what James is saying, it comes from James, the brother of Jesus, telling us, hey, this is what it means to be with Jesus. It's going to change you. And when we get to the place where we're like, but I don't want to change then we're kind of telling God he's got to stay back from us. And that's not the goal either, not at all. They had been with Jesus, and now they're reflecting Jesus. Peter and John were now reflecting Jesus to the world. And this is what people should accuse us of. People should look at us, and they should say, you, something is different about you, and I need to know what that is. Why don't you get all wound up? Why don't you get all excited? Why don't you get all mad? Why don't you um, scream and rage against the world? And we say, well, because we've been with Jesus. And people say, hey, this was there. Now, I, I'm not, I, don't, I don't think we should boast, and I don't want to boast. There are times in my life when people come up to me and they say, why are you different? And what it does is it captures my attention and says, whoa, it convicts me. Is what I'm saying and what I'm doing a reflection of Jesus. I sit every day and I have coffee with some, some people that constantly will say to me, well, what do you believe about that, Joe? And often I will say, it doesn't matter what I believe about that. What matters is what does the Scripture say about that? And that's what I'm trying to conform my life to. And there's sometimes I have to say, well, I wasn't being a very good example there. And I have to apologize. I have to do that. See, when I got saved, and this is what we're going into with, with uh, James. You want a title for this sermon? The title would be, Did I Just Say That? Did I just say that? <laughs> Did those words just come out of my mouth? Because so many times I will not tell people that I'm a pastor. I won't do it. And it's not because I'm trying to hide. It's because they act different around me once they know. Okay, I was talking to a man at the, the Millstone Festival, and, and I, I love the Millstone Festival, and I was talking to a man, and he asked me what I did, and I said I was a pastor, and we were talking about our dogs, and just having a good conversation, and he, and he you know, kind of let some things slip out of mouth, and then he's like, oh, I'm sorry, pastor, sorry, I, I, I shouldn't have said that. That's the way I get treated, and it's like, I like for people to be who they are when they're, excuse me for saying it this way, when they're heathens, Okay. And then I like to be a part of seeing people grow when they surrender their lives to Jesus. But when I got saved, I realized that the words of my mouth should be or are actually a reflection of my soul. What's going on inside of my soul? 
If the words coming out of my mouth are angry, I need to check my heart and say, hey, why am I so on fire and angry inside? Because the Scripture says that out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And when we grab a hold of that and we say, okay, so it's my heart that needs to change, and we're at the place where we say yes, because you and I as Christian people are constantly and ever growing from glory to glory, and that's where we are. So I knew growing up, because, man, listen, growing up, I cussed like the proverbial sailor. It was awful. But I understood that there should be something different about Christians. And so I understood that not just foul language, but that gossip and cursing people, not cussing people, cursing people, that's a real thing. It really is. It's a real thing. These had to leave my life. They had to go. There couldn't be any more of that. And they had to be replaced with affirmations and blessing and encouragement and empowerment. Those are the kind of things that had to start. So our next lesson from the book of James comes from James chapter 3. And it's incredibly convicting. And it's just the, the, the first 12 verses. And it says here, not many of you should, and, and all of it, every bit of it is about the words of our mouth. Okay? But, but look at the different ways we use our mouth. But not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. In the King James it says we'll be judged more harshly. Okay? So that's one way we use our mouth. We all stumble in many ways. Um, anyone who is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits in the mouths of horses, we make them obey us. We can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person. It sets the whole course of our life on, fi on fire, and it itself is set on fire uh, by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, creatures of the sea, are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water come flowing from the same spring? My brother, can a fig tree bear olives, nor can a grape uh, vine bear figs? Neither can salt spring produce fresh water. That's what I'm looking at right there. So as James goes down through the words of our mouth, what he begins with is not everybody should be a teacher. Because I'm, gonna tell, I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm 30 years in, and right now we live in a world of Christian willy-nilly teachers. Can I just say it that way? It's just like all of a sudden they throw up and they have a verse and that's the truth and that's all there is to it. I actually had some, one person say to me that uh, somewhere I think in the book of Romans it says that whatever you believe, that's what the truth is. And this person doubled down and doubled down and doubled down on that fact that that just simply is not true. Jesus is truth. What Jesus says is truth. It is defined. 
It is there. It is obvious. Okay, and we look at this thing. Um, and then Paul, or excuse me, then James goes into, if you can control your tongue, you'll be the best human being on the planet. Okay? And then somewhere in there, I think he should have put, good luck and may the odds ever be in your favor. Okay? I just think he should have, you know, done one of those jobs for us all and say, because I, I feel like, I don't feel like James is coming down and going, listen, you people, you need to straighten up, clean up your language. Listen, you people, you got to stop being teachers. I think he's saying, listen, you're getting into trouble because you're not paying attention to what you're saying. Some of you think you're teachers, and I'm sorry, but you're not. Okay? It's the same thing that I had to say one time. I, I had a, I mean, I, I swear they were all millionaires arguing over $15,000 a piece, okay? Seriously. Because somebody had died and they all thought that they should have been the recipient of this poor woman's will and she herself was poor. But they were all sitting in my, my living room and I finally had to say, because I visited this woman for years, um, once a week in the nursing home, I finally had to sit down and say, listen, because everybody was going, I'm the favorite. These are like 85-year-old people going, she said I was the favorite. She said I was the favorite. And I finally had to say, listen, um, I know who she is, and, and I know that she loved you all, but I know that you are not her favorite. Okay, she told me specifically, you are not her favorite. And it was like, oh my word, you should have seen what happened. I feel like James is saying, listen, I'm not mad at you, okay? You're just getting yourself into your own trouble. And I want to help you understand what we need to do here, Okay. And then he makes this statement, because he says, you've got to tame that tongue. You've got to set, it's a world fire. And then he says this, and by the way, nobody can tame the tongue. And it's like, well, then why try? You ever been there? It's like, well, if it can't be done, why am I fighting to do it? Because we're called to. James is inviting us to do our best. I spent 10 years in western Oklahoma as a pastor, and thankfully, um, learned to cowboy while I was out there, and probably one of the greatest accolades anybody ever gave me um, was when I was talking to a young a man, I think he would have been a college-age young man at that point, or pretty close to it, and I said, well, I try to be a cowboy, and he said, no, pastor, you are a cowboy. There's just no doubt about it. But I had horses out there, and, and I enjoyed them, and I had horses the way I have dogs here. But we put this bit in a horse's mouth, and this is a bit. So when, when uh, James says, man, we put bits in the mouths of horses, and we turn them to do whatever we want. This is a typical, just a very typical Western curb bit, okay? There are other kinds that just kind of do this in the middle where the copper curb is, and that's called a snaffle bit, okay? And when you pull back on your reins, it closes against the horse's mouth like this and pulls um, here. This one, all right, that little copper curb, when you pull, the reins are attached to the lower circle, and the upper circle is attached to the bridle, and at times there is a chain that goes across that as well. But when you pull on the lower with the reins, then you can see that that little curb will rotate in the horse's mouth and immediately put pressure up against the roof of the horse's mouth. And as it does that, the horse says, no, 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 and gives you his head. And if you get too heavy-handed with it, the horse doesn't care, and it starts doing whatever he wants, and you end up ruining your horse. Now, um, there are bits where that curb is almost as long all the way past the upper two circles where the bridle, when you've got a hard horse, you've got a difficult animal, they put that thing in there, and there's a, there's a curb that goes all the way up, and it's nasty, okay? It is a severe bit. 
But this bit right here is just designed to turn the horse's head back and forth and make the horse do what you want it to do. And then there's times when that curb has to get more severe and more severe and more severe to get the horse to do what you want. And I think the same thing is true of the words of our mouth, the attitudes of our hearts. There are times when the Lord's got to put a bigger bit in our mouth because we're just not understanding what, he, what it is he wants. Or like my horse, at times we don't care what he wants, we're doing what we want. And he's trying to keep us out of trouble. He's trying to keep us out of the quicksand. He's trying to keep us out of the mud hole. And we're just not listening. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but everything is not constructive. No one should seek his own good, but the good of others. So we might say, hey, listen, I'm not judged by the old law. I'm not judged by this that's going on. And what, what uh, Paul's saying is just because I can doesn't mean I should. Okay? So when we recognize that that bit is challenging us a little bit, we need to yield to it. Um, he also tells us, as he writes to the uh, church in Ephesus, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Holy doesn't mean you glow in the dark. Holy means you've been set aside for the purposes of the kingdom of God. Do you, do you understand that? When you say, yes, I'm now a saint, I'm holy... What goes with that is you're set aside. It doesn't mean you're going to be a full-time preacher. It doesn't mean you're a full-time missionary, so to speak. What it means is when you go about your everyday, you recognize that you are our ambassador for the kingdom of heaven when you're at work, when you're at play, when you're in your um, relationships at home, when you're in relationship with your kid, with your spouse, with all. You are an ambassador for God wherever you go is what that means for you and I to be aware of. But then it goes on for that. We're holy we're God's holy people. And then it says, there shouldn't be any obscenity, any foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place. Out of place. But rather, we should be full of thanksgiving. That's what I was talking about a couple of weeks ago, right? That we should adopt an attitude of gratitude, that we should grab a hold of the idea of what is it that you're thankful for today. What are you thankful for today? If I was to ask you real quick, you know, hey, what are you thankful for right now? Do we all grab the, go to, I'm, I'm so thankful for my spouse. Or if you're like super religious, Jesus, okay? If you're super religious, Jesus is the answer to every question. And sooner or later, it will be the right answer. So just keep saying it, okay? That's good. But if you were to stop and say, hey, what am I thankful for today that I didn't say yesterday, what would it be? I'm thankful for the time that I got to spend at the Millstone Festival meeting new people, telling people that I'm the pastor of the Vineyard Church and talking about dogs. I was so thankful and so grateful that I, I got new friends when I got home. I had been, you know, like, hey, would you be my friend? I want to continue our conversation. It was like, wow, God, thank you for letting me be in Richmond, Kentucky. And that they have, a, I, just, I just wanted to be thankful. So do I have a place to be um, grateful to God? And I will always be grateful for my salvation. I will always be grateful for the, for the blood of Jesus. But it needs to lead me into change, and that's what we're talking about here. The psalmist says in, in Psalm 19, he says this about the words of his mouth. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer. Now listen. Again, I, I pastored a church for, for 10 years in western Oklahoma, and I'm telling you, every Sunday night, we got together because we did, you know, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, we did church. 
And I'm just going to tell you, before we got into the message or whatever we were doing Sunday night, we had Bible verse time. You could say your favorite Bible verse. And every single time, this man that I love dearly, Ira Schweitzer, okay, I'm going to call him out, Ira Schweitzer, he would say, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, 10 years, not quite 10 because he passed away in there, but, but it's like, will the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That's how I memorized the verse. It's like, here goes Ira one more time. Let's all say it together with Ira. Okay, that's what I wanted to say. But it's a good way to memorize the verse. And, and the psalmist is, is pretty clear. The words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart. But we're a bunch of control freaks, and we want to be in control. And I'm convinced that we want to be in control because it's fear. I can protect myself better than everybody else. And if I'm in charge, then everybody will be safe, and this is the way it's going to be, because I will fight the lion that shows up, but I will be here to shepherd the lambs that are, that are right here. And so this idea of control is more about taking care of myself. But James says that we need to be in control of our language and in control of our tongue, or it will be in control of us. He says all kinds of animal, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And in my life, I have broken and tamed horses. I have broken and tamed dogs. I have broken and tamed um, falcons. I have caught and broken and trained falcons. I mean, excuse me, hawks off of telephone poles and dunk cannon lane. I have broken and, and trained pigeons and a snake or two that my mom wishes I would have left in, out in the um, woods. Why did I have to bring it home? And the only thing you can really do to tame a snake is just to let you pick it up without biting you. That's all you can do. They don't sit, they don't fetch, they don't do anything, okay? Um, but they're cool. And so I had some. But my tongue, my tongue has a mind of its own, and sometimes it just feels like it's on autopilot. It's on autopilot. And let's just be honest. If I leave my tongue on autopilot, I am going to crash and burn, okay? Because my autopilot of my tongue does not see or recognize or, or make... Um, adjustments for mountains that come into my, my life. Either I'm going to be in control of my tongue or my tongue is going to be in control of me. And it's usually when my tongue flares up that I most need to be in control of it and it not in control of me. So what is James challenging us on today? That the, he's challenging us on the words of our mouths as teachers, preachers, and speakers. All right? He says, you who want to teach other people, who want to lead the Bible study, who want to um, be the small group leader, who want to go into pastoral ministry, who want a chance to preach, whatever it might be. He says, do you understand that you will be judged more harshly? You know why? Because people will make life-changing decisions based upon what you say that scripture says. And if you're not getting that right and they're going down a road over there, then heaven help us all. We've got to say, what does the Bible say about what the Bible says? And then as individuals, how do I change my life to fit the Bible, not how do I change the Bible to fit my life? See, that's the important part. 30 years of experience leading churches, I have learned that, and I'm not here throwing rocks, it's just the, the, the sad reality, that few people want to study to understand the Scripture, but everybody wants to have a favorite verse. Can I say it that way? 
Did I say it that way? Come on, let me say it that way. All right, because it's kind of that way. All right, let me give you an example. I cannot tell you how many people have come into my office, and, and this is an ongoing thing since, since the Apostle Paul, if you don't believe me, it's in your scripture in his letters to the church in Corinth, okay, and to Timothy. But they'll come into my office and they'll sit down and they'll say, um, 1 Timothy 2.12 says, I do not permit a woman to teach and have authority or assume authority over man. She has to be quiet. But when you, when you take that verse and you begin to just say, hey, let's talk about it, they really don't think women should be quiet. They think women should sing. And they shouldn't quiet, be quiet. They should praise the Lord. And so you, you walk it down. But they don't want to look at the Scripture in 1 Corinthians. They don't want to go say, where does the subjugation of women come from? They don't want to wrestle. And, and listen to me, we're still going to wrestle and bonk heads and maybe even come to different places on that. But Jesus came to free people from captivity, and the subjugation of women, okay, happened after Adam and Eve were created. It was part of the curse. And either the curse has been paid for for men and women, or it hasn't been. And so we need to wrestle with that. Let me give you another one, okay? Um, the uh, tattoos. Absolute favorite one. Some of you in here are going, oh, pastor, don't touch tattoos. You know, my kids want to talk to me about this. Don't, don't touch that one, please. Listen, I got in trouble because I got a tattoo. I actually had a man, an elder of the church, um, he sinned against all of heaven, and I don't say that lightly because that man literally said out loud, I am so angry with you that I want to hurt you real bad. <laughs> because I got a tattoo that he had never seen because of where it was on my physical body. But they will go to, to uh, Leviticus 19.27, not understanding the whole book of Galatians. We've been freed from 613 commandments and we have been um, born again into two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. But let me just touch this one if I can, okay, just for fun, all right? But it says um, um, in Leviticus 19, 20, uh, 28, excuse me, that you don't cut yourself for the dead or put tattoo marks upon your body. Uh, just the slightest amount of study will show you that that was done to keep pagan gods away from you or to appease pagan gods. That was the purpose of it. So God was telling us in the book of Leviticus, have nothing to do with the rituals of pagan gods. That's not why people do it today. It isn't. Nobody's tattooing themselves to keep demons from understanding who they are. And again, a, a simple search will do that. And you say, yeah, I know, Joe. Okay, okay. Okay. If that one applies, so does the next one, or excuse me, or the previous one. And do not shave the edges of your beard or trim the hair on the side of your head. See? And immediately, elders of a church will go, well, that doesn't apply today. But the one right after it does apply today. That's not how it works. Okay? It's crazy, but it is not how it works. Um, another one that I saw was um, I watched a church um, go head to head with each other, and basically it was one guy in the church, or one or two guys in the church, and it was like you can't have musical instruments in the church, period. End of discussion. It's got to stop. And I mean, it was an ongoing prairie fire inside of this church. 
There's one verse in the book of Amos, chapter 6, that says that we shouldn't play on David's instruments and his harps or lay on couches. That's one whole verse. Okay? But what we do is we beat people to death with don't play on lyres, cymbals, harps, and things like that, but it's okay to lay on the couch and watch the NFL football. See how hypocritical it happens so fast? People presume to be teachers but don't want to study themselves to, uh, to be approved. They want to grab a verse to beat other Christians with to straighten them out so that they can just, it's just, I mean, it gets out of hand. Second Timothy says, study to show yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, who rightly divides the word of God. James says, those of you should not presume to be teachers because don't you know that we who are teachers will be judged more harshly. You've got to understand what it is that you're doing. I do believe that you don't need a seminary degree, but I do believe that you've got to get it in the words. That's the first thing that James talks about. The next time, the next thing that he talks about is the words of our mouth and straight up foul language. Uncomely, rude, crass, out of control language. And here's the sad part, okay? Here's the sad part. It has become hip, cool, and even blasé for pastors to swear from the pulpit. It started about 15 years ago when pastors would stand in the pulpit. And I, don't, I, I, I didn't preach this one. I'm not better than anybody else. I'm just saying I didn't preach this sermon. But I know about everybody preached this sermon that I was in pastoral meetings with. They got up here and cussed and swore for a second. And then they would say, does that bother you that I cussed and swore up here? And people would be like, yes. And he's like, and you don't even care that people are going to hell all around you. You just care that I cussed and swore. So it became cool for pastors to, you know, to, to, to let some language slip a little bit in the midst of the sermon so that they could know that we're all normal, we're all cool. Listen, we need to quit. We need to raise the bar and not lower the bar. We need to come to the Lord and allow Him to change who we are. And, and we need to become holy and set aside not perfect not without fault and and i mean that's the goal but that's going to happen when jesus comes back but yes still enjoy your life but there's a place to stop and say i do not have to be like everybody and at the same time stop and say am i too much like the people around me or am i reflecting jesus Okay, it is indicative of how we make excuses for our sins instead of repent for them because we don't like that. And I would suggest that people are focusing more on growing their churches. Pastors, they're more interested in being cool, hip, and growing their churches than they are in training up Christian people. And it's important, okay? And again, I'm, I'm not so Arminian that I think every time you slip and fall, you've got to get baptized again. I'm, I'm not there. I do believe that when we sin, we confess our sins, we say, sorry, Jesus, and we say, hey, how can I do it just a little bit better next time? First church was born as a megachurch. I'm not against megachurches, okay? I'm, there's a move right now. I just want to be part of a little church. It's like the first church that, that ever happened was a megachurch. 3,000 people got saved when Peter preached. 3,000 people. Wow. He said, repent and be baptized. And so here we are. People are a little bit finicky, um, and they're looking for things that will make them feel good because we pastor churches where we don't say hell and sin and things like that. We don't talk about a real devil that will come after us. But remember, Paul said that 
nor should there be, um, excuse me, yeah, he told the church in Ephesus, nor through the very obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking or language, which are out of place for um, the people of God, but rather we should be living in thanksgiving. And then the other one is oh, another one where I find the, the hardest teachings of Jesus that there are. The third thing that he, that he talks about as far as the words of our mouth. So he talks about um, being teachers, the words of our mouth. Get it right or don't do it. The second thing is he says, stop cussing and swearing. And, I'm, I'm just, and then the next one is stop cursing people and start blessing people with your words. Bless them. Build each other up instead of tearing each other down. Blessings or spreading gossip. Blessings or tearing people apart. Blessings or creating divisions. Blessings or anointing. How do we do that? Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, but you, but you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those that hate you, bless those that curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you. Probably one of the toughest scriptures and teachings of Jesus that there ever will be. There really are. That one right there. Somebody hurts you, somebody steals your job, somebody wrecks your family, somebody does. That one right there, I believe, is the most difficult teaching of Jesus that you will wrestle with all the days of your life in your humanity. How do I bless people that have hurt me? How do I bless people that have cursed me? How do I bless people that have undone my, the, the work of God um, that he's given me to do? How do I bless people that do that? And how do I do it when they're Christian people? See, we've all been called to build churches, but we don't do that as lone rangers. People have to come together to build churches. And it began in the book of Acts, and it continues today. 3,000 people got saved. So how can you use your words to build other people up? Sometimes we need to come along people, alongside people, and we need to encourage them from hurts, from attacks, from failures, from convictions and personal desires, and, and, and for healing. Sometimes we have to come alongside people and call them out. We do. And we have to use our words to challenge people that we love and we care about. To, to challenge the status quo. It's not fun. But we have to have the right attitude. And sometimes, and I believe this, we need to command blessings on them. We need to command a blessing. We, need to, we don't beg heaven to bless them. We command a blessing. We have been called and empowered by all of heaven to change people's lives, to bring truth, to bring healing, to bring hope, to bring encouragement, to speak life into death. That's what we're called to do. The enemy sows death, but the kingdom work of God is to use the words of our mouth to sow blessing. So as we grow in our relationship to Jesus, today God, through his brother, or Jesus, through his brother James, is challenging you and I in the words of our mouth. We want to grow in God? There's our growth point out of the book of James. There's a conversation for small groups for us this coming Wednesday night. Let's have that conversation. Hey, it's a place for you and I to let the world see that we're different. Not because we're trying to show off, not because we're perfect, not because we're without fault. But the way we talk in here should be the way we talk out there. No more gossip. No more slander. No more tearing people down. 
No more cussing, no more cursing, no more wishing bad things would happen to them because of what they did to me. That's, that's a life of bitterness. And I want to encourage you that it doesn't have to be that way. So our words that we want to use today as we invite the Holy Spirit to come right now, these are words where we just want to say, who is it? Who is it that the words of your mouth just are a fire towards? Who is it that you need to bless instead of curse? Let's just start with that. Bless instead of curse. That you know today, we've talked about before, we need to let go of some of these hurts. But let's go a little more and be proactive. We don't need to let go of it. We need to bless them into a relationship with Jesus so that God can change them and let God handle it. Are there people like that in your life? Are there people that have sowed words into your life like you can't do it? You're not good enough too stupid, you're too ignorant, you'll never amount to anything. Are those the words that you hear rattling around in your soul that keep you from moving forward? If that's you, we would also like to pray for you this morning. So let's come to our feet. We're going to go into this last song. But if that is something that you feel like, wow, the words of my mouth, that's yeah, the words of somebody else's mouth that have been spoken to me. Yeah. Can we pray for you today? Can you just come up here? Can we pray for you today? One more thing before I walk off this stage. If some of this is like, wow, I don't know if I'm good enough. You don't get good enough and then come to Jesus. You come to Jesus and begin to allow God to change you. But understand, the goal is for God to change you. Okay? And as you come, it's this simple. You were born a sinner, separated from God. And in that separation, you live in sin. And we need somebody to pay for that sin, which we inherited from Adam and Eve. And that person was Jesus, because he came down here and lived perfect. The only man to ever live perfect as a man, even though he was God. He lived in his humanity, so that he could die for our sins and take away the sins of the world and it's in confessing that I'm a sinner and that I need the blood of Jesus or that I rely upon the blood of Jesus what we refer to as the grace of God for the forgiveness of my sins then we've become something new but then we need to let God continue to change us from glory to glory the scripture will say so that we become more like the teachings of Jesus like Jesus himself and I want to encourage you in that at any time during this song, if you would like prayer, you just simply come up here and there will be people to pray for you. But let's pray. Father, who is God in heaven, thank you. Lord, forgive me for the words of my mouth. Forgive me for the attitudes of my heart. At times, Lord, I have not reflected you. And I ask your forgiveness for that. At times, Lord, my, my anger has burned inside of my soul in in an unhealthy way, not in a godly anger. And I ask your forgiveness for that. God, and I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be words that bring health 
that bring hope more than anything that bring healing to them. And I pray your forgiveness and your cleansing upon my own life. In Jesus' name.